Trigger warning, this podcast episode contains discussions of emotional abuse. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Emotional Abuse is Real. I'm your host, Serene Leeds, and I'm so glad you're here. You guys, are you listening? This podcast recently reached a huge milestone. Are you ready? 1,000 downloads. I... I know I've said this before, but I'm just blown away by this news. Yes, it's still small potatoes by most podcasting standards, but I never thought my little show would reach that kind of an audience. So as always, I have you, my small but mighty audience, to thank for this achievement. And of course, the brave souls who have already come forward and shared their stories with me. It's cliche, but this podcast would be nothing without you. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you, but as always, Emotional Abuse is Real still needs your support, and there are several ways you can do that. First of all, if you're a listener and you've been mulling over sharing your story, please don't hesitate to reach out via Instagram at Serene Leads Rights, that's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S-W-R-I-T-E-S, or via email. My email address is hello at sereneleads.com. That's S-A-R-E-N-E-L-E-E-D-S. A reminder that anonymous guests are always welcome. Also, if you are a mental health professional who would like to offer your clinical insights, I would love to feature you on this podcast as well. Another way you can support Emotional Abuse is Real is by heading over to Apple Podcasts and both leaving a rating and writing a review. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find this podcast. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, you can support the podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee page, which I've linked in the show notes. As I've said before, this is a one-woman operation, and your donations help fund the podcast's production costs. On today's episode... I'll be chatting with Carrie Mead, a licensed psychotherapist, life coach, and Reiki healer. If you're a regular listener, then you know I'm quick to say that I am not a mental health professional, and that I always recommend that people who have experienced emotional abuse seek out licensed therapists and to not use this podcast as a substitute for professional mental health treatment. Carrie, on the other hand, is a mental health professional. So I'm thrilled that she agreed to come on the podcast to discuss her clinical insights on emotional abuse. My final reminder before we get into the episode is, please know that I understand the content on this podcast may be difficult for many of you. I've spoken to several people who want to listen to this podcast and who do want to share their stories, but they just don't feel ready to do either yet. I'm here to tell you that I completely understand your decision. As I've done on previous episodes, I am more than happy to narrate your story if you don't feel comfortable appearing on the podcast. Also, please know that it's taken me nearly a decade after my own emotional abuse experience to be able to talk about it so openly. I'm always happy to chat with you over Instagram, DM, or via email. 
I'm at Serene Leads Writes on Instagram and hello at sereneleads.com if you want to shoot me an email. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Carrie. Um, hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Um, yeah, if we could start just by you introducing yourself. Sure. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. First of all, my name is Carrie Mead, and I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Maryland. Um, and I'm also a certified life coach and a Reiki practitioner. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So yes. Holistic healing in different ways. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Reiki. So when yeah. when partnered with um, professional mental health uh, therapy, so that's yeah. that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. So. Um, so I guess we'll just start because up until now, the podcast has mainly been um, survivors telling their stories. So um, I'd love to hear from you from a clinical perspective, what is emotional abuse? Yeah. So emotional abuse is really this nebulous gray um, term that, that we hear. And it's like very popularized right now. I think through social media and um, Instagram, TikTok, we, we hear this term and like, what is it? Um, what I would say is, is emotional abuse is when somebody uses psychological tactics to distort your reality, to gain control over you, to confuse you, uh, to harm you. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's intentional. I think any of us can be, uh, have had times in our lives where we've said something or done something that had unintended consequences. Yeah. We said something to someone and we thought we were being helpful, but we hurt them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who goes uh, intentionally, tries to manipulate reality yeah. um, and cause harm to another. Yeah. Deliberate. 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 Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, okay. Thank you. Um, so, um, and why do you think people tend to dismiss emotional abuse as opposed to, say, physical abuse? Yeah, well, I, th I think that the main thing I hear from the clients I work with is, well, they didn't really hit me. They just pretended they were going to. They just they got really yeah. angry, but but nothing ever happened. Right. Um. I, so I think I think that's one that there's no there's this lack of evidence, I guess, mm -hmm. in some way. Yeah. I also think that that to some degree. People are very dismissive of what happens in their relationships. Oh, he's a really nice guy, but you know, when he drinks too much or it's just when he's stressed and his boss is wearing him down that, that he comes home and yells at us. Um, so it, people are very dismissive. And I find yeah. in therapy, I have to be very direct with people who are in emotionally abusive relationships to point these things out and also be, draw really clear lines between healthy and unhealthy or toxic behavior because people just really get confused. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so along uh, that line, what are the dangers of people not taking emotional abuse seriously? Like what, what are the detrimental effects? Yeah. So when somebody stays in a, in a relationship that's emotionally abusive for a long period of time, we often see, of course, they come to therapy because they're experiencing usually depression, anxiety, or some form of um, trauma, like trauma response. So that might look like 
um, being hypervigilant, being jittery. Um, another big one is that the people will have a hard time trusting others, even in healthy relationships, um, or they self-isolate. So they, they stay away from all people because suddenly all people are scary and dangerous. Um, so there's a lot of long-term effects on people. Um, psychologically, it takes a long time to, to reset after being in an abusive relationship. And so in that time, you may be less productive at work. If you can work at all, your other healthy relationships may fall to the wayside. Your children may develop anxiety disorders if you're anxious. I mean, there's a lot of um, trickle-down effect for people if they stay and intolerate something that's really quite intolerable for a long period of time. Yeah. And Also on that note, because one thing that I've certainly been learning through this podcast is there are people who want to leave and maybe they're making, they're taking the steps to do so, but they haven't been able to do so yet. Um, There's uh, one person who I just interviewed, the episode just dropped and she of course, you know, under a pseudonym, she was very transparent. She's in therapy. She totally believes that she will extract herself from the relationship. But she said right off the bat, it, it's a current relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, there's these people are very, very scared. They're very sure. confused about yeah. what, their self-worth, about their own um, personhood, about their own value as a human being. Yeah. They're often economically dependent on the person who's abusing them. Um, they often don't have support from family, which is, is something I hear frequently. Oh, you know, again, parents may be dismissive. Oh, all relationships are hard or stick it through to the end. We've been married 50 years. We're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why people stay. I think the main thing is like for the person you just interviewed, they're coming somehow they've had a realization that this is not what they want, nor is it what they deserve. Yeah. And that in fact, even if they can't see what the future looks like, there is another future, a different possibility for them. And so there's a spark of hope that that person perhaps has today that they didn't have maybe six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about red, red flags. Um, how can someone tell if they're being emotionally abused, like any specific signs that they should look for? And, um, you know, you and I have talked before about what's emotional abuse versus just, typical conflict in a relationship. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so red flags for, for me would be, um, let's see, where do we start? There's a lot of them, but, um, <laughs> so one would be like generally checking in with yourself. How do I feel in the presence of this person? How do I feel when I'm not in the presence of this person? How do I feel when that person I know is coming home in an hour or 10 minutes? Uh, how do I feel when I see their phone number pop up? I mean, yeah. those are just self check-ins you can do. Again, if you're having a normal, healthy conflict with your spouse over the uh, budget and you, you know that tonight you're going to be talking about it, it's understandable that you're not excited for that, <laughs> that, that that conversation later. You might have some difference of opinions, but if you're talking about like a fear that you feel in your belly or tightening up your muscles or an absolute sense of dread when yeah. you hear the, the car door slam or the garage door go up or on the flip side, absolute relief when they're out of town at a business meeting for three days. Or um, their mother's in town, so they won't be drinking or something like that. These are <laughs> yeah. these are like red flags that you can do internally for a check-in. Um, sort of more external things is like I would refer to what a, the power and control wheel. And I don't know if your um, listeners are familiar with that, but on the 
the hotline, yeah. the domestic violence hotline website, you can get a copy of the power and control wheel. So they talk about the ways that, that abuse shows up. That's not, obviously there's physical, but there's sexual abuse. There's, and that can happen in relationships. You can be raped in a marriage. You can be prostituted in a marriage. You can be um, forced into to performing acts of sex that don't align with your values. Um, so that's another way, economic abuse. It could be that you have all your, all your paycheck goes into a joint account, but, or into a bank account that you don't have access to, Mm. or that your partner, um, has an account that they give you an allowance from, but the allowance that they give you is not enough to cover the basic necessities for you and your family. Um, so in the power and control, we sort of go through these different things. Again, another one being your person, your, your, your spouse or, or partner threatens and intimidates you. They yell at you, they humiliate you. They call you names. They put you down. They um, raise their fist, but they never hit you. They back you into a corner, but they weren't going to touch you. Um, So these are the sort of like really overt red flags. The other thing is look at your kids. How are they around your spouse? How are they when when they see um, daddy come home? And I I talk about this about men because it most often happens to to men. But it I mean by men are usually the perpetrators, but not by yes. certainly not always. Um, yes. Women are also capable of of horrible things. And so, um, but look at your children. How are they around your partner? What is their vibe? Yeah. And thank you for bringing up the power of control wheel, because um, certainly I'm familiar with it after talking with you. um, But I don't think any of my guests so far have mentioned it. And also, I am am not a mental health professional, so it's really not my place to um, emphasize that. But yeah, I you know, you've recommended it. Um, I'll try to provide a link to it in, in the show notes so yeah, they can go check it out. Yeah. The power and control wheel that it's, it's on the hotline.org. And that's a great okay. website for anybody who's experiencing domestic violence, intimate partner violence, or just wants to find out more about like all these other areas where, where power and control can come into a relationship yeah. really like in, in such subtle ways. Um, the other thing I just want to say about a red flag and, and maybe yeah. this is even like a precursor is like, look at your, your, your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, look at their relationships with their parents and look at how their family treats each other. Look how they are with their other friends, you know, look around at their other relationships because your marriage should, will in many ways be similar to yeah. how they treat other people. Now, having said that, I know lots of couples who have come from harsh and difficult backgrounds, who have overcome things, have made challenges, but it's still information. Yes. Like how was this person taught? What was their home environment like as a kid? What Were emotions allowed? Were they um, overly allowed? <laughs> were they stifled? Were um, Did people treat each other with respect? I mean, these are just clues about Absolutely. who you're involving yourself with. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are things that I know that my husband and I are very open with each other about because it's so it's so important to have that transparency. And I know that um, we both work to do things differently um, in some ways than how we were raised. So yeah, yeah that's really important. Um, so I would... Um, actually, no, before we get to that. Um, so once you've spotted the signs of emotional abuse, what do you recommend people do as far as next steps to help themselves? Yeah. So I think when you start to feel that way, that you're, that you're having your own aha moments, Yeah, check in with some friends, check in with some families, a couple, a handful of people that you really, really trust get some feedback from people that know you. And certainly um, I'm a psychotherapist. So 
I always recommend therapy and I think it's, it's a good I do thing. too. <laughs> um, yeah. There's two reasons for that, right? So I'm saying yeah. talk to people who know you and know your relationship. Also talk to people who don't know you and your relationship. Mm. See how those two things jive because they're going to have different perspectives. If you and I are friends, I'm going to have seen you at barbecues or maybe we've gone to parties together or I knew you since you were a kid. I maybe have insight that your therapist doesn't have. That's good and bad as a therapist. If someone comes and tells me all these things about their spouse that they're doing, that they're um, isolated from their friends, they don't have access to money and that are constantly humiliated, humiliated and they're afraid to, when he comes home, I don't care how funny is at a birthday party or how lavish his, his vacations are that he takes you on. Um, there's red flags there that, that that personal history doesn't really matter to me yeah. um, as your therapist. And so that's why I think it's nice to talk to, 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 to those two sorts of, of groups of people, knowing also that your friends depending on your friends and your friend groups, they'll have a vested interest in you guys staying together. If you guys always party together on a Saturday night, or if you have mm. a plan coming up, or if, if they've known him since, you know, year dot. Um, so friends aren't always great sources in that regard, but they certainly are a starting place. So that that's one thing. So talk to people, okay. gain perspective. Second yeah. of all, read blogs, listen to podcasts like this. Find out what else is going on and how other people are in their relationships so that you can kind of gauge out like what is normal, what's what's healthy, what's unhealthy. Um, and then, you know, of course, address it with your with your spouse. And I really urge people to know their relationship and their person. If they if they can have a conversation with their spouse in a calm and, and direct way, it's very important. If they don't use accusatory language, like, mm. I don't like it when you do this, you make me so angry. That's accusatory language. You yeah. can say using I statements, I feel intimidated when I hear the door slam and you kick the dog on the way in. That's just mm -hmm. how you feel. And it's also sticking to facts. Um, so when you're talking to somebody who's emotionally abusive, I try to help people avoid emotional language like, oh, I was really scared to call you today because I thought maybe you might be upset and I wasn't really sure how your day was going. Too much information, right? Like it's too yeah. emotional for them. Those kind of people really need to be to the facts. I need to have a conversation with you tonight when you get home after dinner when the kids are asleep. Yeah. There's no emotion in that. It's just the facts. So keep it short. Keep it simple. Start the conversation off. And then, of course, I would recommend some kind of counseling um, if you're going to move forward, because no matter how much somebody wants to move through a challenge on their own, it's really hard to do it without professional help. I mean, podcasts, Instagram reels, uh, books, these are all great resources. And and certainly the world is is full of information. But there's something about having the accountability of a weekly session with somebody who's been trained to yes. to 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 demystify so much and also to provide a safe space for exploration. Absolutely. That's why I always say um, on every podcast that I am not a professional and that I highly recommend seeking um, professional therapy. Well, yeah. I just want to say too, that, that having a podcast like yours and some of the other ones that are out there yes. along these topics are so helpful because it's People may listen to a story that you present and they go, oh my gosh, I would, you know, I would never, never live in a relationship like that. But then if they actually do some exploration, there's some red flags that remind yeah. them or they hear a story and they're horrified and they realize it's just like their marriage, but they've never looked at it that way. So 
I, you know, this podcast is still very new, but I did have someone who reached out to me and she was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I, I just was so happy that I had created this podcast because she was finally realizing she needed to talk about, she has not done any therapy. So throughout that episode, I'm like, I highly recommend that you, that be your next step because this can't be it for you. Um, Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. So um, I know that you know we have spoken um, before and over Instagram. I would love it if you could talk to me about what you've been seeing and that how emotional and narcissistic abuse has been bubbling up more and more in your professional work. So I'd love to hear more about what you've been seeing in your professional practice and how you've been tailoring your work to um, helping people through this very specific kind of abuse. Yeah. So I think for what I noticed the most, and I, and I've heard this from other clinicians as well as divorce lawyers, the pandemic really brought some things home for people. Mm. Um, so prior to, you know, there's before the pandemic and after the pandemic, I think in most of our minds, the world operated one way and then it, everything went to a standstill. And people, yeah. of course, for a period, a long period of time were at home with their the people that lived in their household. Yeah. I think this is where some things became very apparent for couples that maybe had used buffers of, well, he travels three days a week, or he goes out of town once a week, every three weeks, um, or he works 12 hours a day. So we don't see each other. So there were a lot of things that were bubbling under the surface in relationships, but there was enough space and distance between husband and wife that it never fully impacted them, I think, to a certain degree. Then suddenly the world shuts down. You're in behind closed doors, depending on your location and what sort of house you live in and your economic resources. I mean, stress levels are high. Even the healthiest, happiest people are feeling depressed. Couples that normally don't fight are fighting. Sure. You know, I mean, every stressor out there is known to man. And for couples that were in a rocky relationship, it really became um, front and center and and potentially dangerous, which was my mm-hmm. fear, um, you know, for children <laughs> in my community, you know, if there's danger in the household and these kids don't have the access to school. That, um, yeah. So, of course, wives and husbands, too, are an abusive relationship. So I think that, that to answer your question, that the change I saw was, was the pandemic brought some things front and center and also for healthy couples who just suddenly realized, like, I really need to go to couples counseling. Like, we continue to have the same disagreement and we need help. Um, So people, a lot of things were brought forward. Um, And then secondly, you know, we're kind of in this post, I don't know, pandemic phase where stores are open, people are going back into the office, people are traveling. And so on the one hand, some people have like scarred by and they're like, oh, thank God, my spouse is still out of the house 12 hours a day. So we're okay for now. Or, oh my gosh, I can now go to therapy and actually get my ducks in a row. I can make a change here. Mm. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of people, I think, you know, kind of tackling what they had been ignoring. Um, so I definitely um, see that. And then I think, honestly, just social media. I mean, you only have to flip through TikTok and um, Instagram yeah. and all the things. And there's all kinds of influencers and memes and and conversation pieces around this. I think you also, you know, see TV shows. I'm a fan of Ted Lasso. I just watched an episode and he talks about how he can't wait to talk to his therapist about his mother's um, visit. And I remember thinking like, this is really cool. Like this is a a cisgendered white male talking about going to therapy, addressing some, some family dynamics with his mom. So, you know, 
that's really normalizes things. Yeah. And and again, makes it more accessible to a woman or, or man who's at home afraid to take that first step. You only have to turn on TV. And any TV show that involves teenagers talks about their therapist and their therapy and their depression and all that. So it's it's normalized. And I think that has made people call more often. I don't know if that yeah. answered your question. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, it did. Yeah, because there was a lot. There was a lot to that question. So that was definitely part of it. Um, I just, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to hear about how you've been tailoring your work. You know, I know that you run several groups, and yeah, yeah. yeah. So what I'm, so the way that I've tailored my work is twofold. I've added support groups into mm-hmm. my, um, into my clinical work. A because I work by myself and just trying to um, meet the need of people. You know, if yeah. I can meet five or 10 people in one hour versus one person an hour, that that helps um, break down barriers to treatment for people. Yeah. And I also find that that in the support groups I'm running, uh, people find a lot of connection and that they didn't have before because they feel so alone. If you feel that that all your friends have a perfect marriage, quote unquote, perfect marriage, um, and you're the only one who has any troubles or concerns or is thinking about divorce or separation, it's very, very isolating um, to people. So the support groups are really there to bring people with a similar lived experience together. Um, so I've been running divorce contemplation groups for women for, I was just looking, I think I've been doing it for two years now. I think I've run a six, a total of six groups over the last two years for women who are considering divorce. Emotional abuse almost always comes up sure, and, and not always as the main topic, um, just as a side note, but for some mm-hmm. people it's, it's main, of course, domestic violence comes up, yeah. um, infidelity comes up, incompatibility, I mean, all kinds of things, but, but sure. tailoring the support groups. And soon I will be launching a support group for parents who are alienated from their children. And this is like totally different, but also very similar because parent alienation can happen during divorce where one parent targets the other and sort of sets mm. the child against them. And mm-hmm. then that that targeted parent gets separated from their child, maybe either through like the legal system or just a rupture in the relationship because mommy or daddy has said too many bad things about them or threatened to not love them if they love the other parent. So that's another way that it's coming up and I'm tailoring what I'm doing to try. It's, that's a thankfully a small percentage of people who get alienated from their children, but okay. it does exist. And it's a really shameful, um, grief, grief stricken process. If yeah. You yeah. From your child's life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also definitely want to touch on the narcissist aspect of emotional abuse. I specifically call this podcast Emotional Abuse is Real because I want to make sure that, you know, it encompasses all the different versions. But I know that my personal emotional abuse story definitely happened with a narcissist. And I just find that it's so commonplace. And I, I just love to get a clinical, more of a clinical understanding of why this tends to happen with people who are deemed narcissists. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. You know, first of all, the narcissist, his, his, his heir to his lungs is power and control. Yeah. And so of course they look for people that they can intimidate, that they can control or manipulate. Yeah. And of course they hate it. If you don't um, succumb, and you know this personally, <laughs> sure do. No, you you've been through that, so you have yeah. that very awful firsthand account of standing up to a narcissist, yeah, um, and not being the oxygen supply. Yeah. Um, 
But I would say that that I just want to be careful with the term narcissism because it's it's really like a complicated one. It's a diagnosable. It it is a, a it's in the DSM the di- the the manual that we use to diagnose people. So the, there is something called narcissistic personality disorder. Yes. It, about the 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 numbers are very low on how many people in the general population would be diagnosed with this, and somewhere between um, like 0.5 to like maybe maybe 5% of people might actually have a diagnosable condition mm-hmm. according to the latest research. So most people we meet, even though they're jerks in lots of ways and horrible in lots of ways, they're, they're usually not actually diagnosable narcissists. Now, okay. as a caveat, people who are narcissistic do not come to therapy and do not get diagnosed. So this is based on what we know about the general population, but also those people don't generally come to therapy because they right. don't they don't have self-awareness. They're not looking to introspect. They're not looking to develop themselves. They're just looking for another supply. Yes. So I just want, I just want to put that out there. And so- no, I'm glad you did because it gets tossed around so much. And especially when we talk about emotional abuse. And the only reason why I refer to my yeah. abuser as a narcissist is because my therapist used that term to discuss. Describe. Yeah, him. and 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 he probably was, and yeah. and probably would be diagnosed that way, you know, because right. there are people. So you know, how do you know if you're dealing with a narcissist or what I like to say, someone who has narcissistic like uh, characteristics? Sure. Yeah. You know, that way it's just kind of a broader term. Sure. Um, they're going to be defensive to criticism. They're going to lack empathy. They're going to have a over like a grandiose view of self. Yeah. Um, they're going to be self-absorbed and arrogant. They will do anything they want to get what they do anything that they need to do to get what they want. Yeah. They'll have no problem manipulating or lying and they will not feel remorse for it. Um, yep. They'll also change the, the goalposts on you all the time. You'll start, you'll think that you understand how to interact with them, but they'll now change and you won't have any warning about what changed. You'll just know yeah. that you've upset them and you don't know why um, they'll be, They'll, they'll have a sense of entitlement. They'll expect people to to respect and, and not only respect them, but want to be around them and want to know more, whether they know you or don't know you, whether you're the doorman at the hotel or someone that you work with. They want some kind of like real respect and, and grandiose um, reception. Um, and they, yeah, they need admiration from others. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not a good feeling. It's no. it's not good. It's not a good feeling to be around. They can be also very charming. They can be very good looking. They can be, you know, kind of fit the bill in terms of of certain glances. Yeah. Um, because they have to 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 get yeah. their to get their oxygen supply. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So. Um, uh, so what what is one thing that you want? the public to know and understand about emotional abuse? Well, I think your podcast name says it all. Emotional, <laughs> emotional abuse is real. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, it's somewhat subjective. So your experience of what might be abusive to you is, is is somewhat subjective compared to maybe what somebody else is experiencing based on your own life experience, your own um, upbringing. But there are some general social mores, I guess you would say, and values mm-hmm. that yeah. that someone who is emotionally abusive disregards, you know? And so I often say to people when they're trying to, to figure out for themselves, like, is, is my abuse, is my relationship abusive? Am I being manipulated? I usually say, if your best friend came and told you the story, 
what would your reaction be? Oh my gosh, I'd be so upset for them. Oh gosh, no, I would, I would, or if your daughter or son came home and said they were in a relationship and these things were happening to them. Yeah. Oh, well, without a doubt, I would say no. Okay. Well, they're happening to you. And why is that different? So emotional abuse is real. It's hard to define in some ways and quantify. And so, um, I also want to say that as a therapist, I tend to be very non-directive in therapy. I don't tell people what to do. I don't, you know, you know, um, order you around, but sure. when I am with somebody who's in an abusive relationship, yeah. I do have to take a more directive appro- approach with them mm-hmm. because they really lack the insight and perspective of what's, what's okay. Yeah. What's okay. Because, um, they've been told that, that they are the problem. Mm-hmm. They've been told that, that, ever, that to fix a relationship, they must change. Yeah. Their partner has not taken any accountability. In your case, in your, you know, your boss took no accountability. You, you needed to change. If things were going to get better, it was all on you. Yes. Um, so taking an directive approach as a therapist with those people that I, you know, have ascertained are in an abusive relationship is, is a, is, is a game changer for them. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they, they don't have it at the beginning of therapy, the perspective to be able to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's real. Believe it is. I tell you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and again, I have to thank, um, one of the people whose story I told early on in the, in, in the podcast, uh, it, a male survivor who, when I asked him, uh, why do we need to talk about emotional abuse? His answer was because it's real. And when I was starting to think about this podcast, I was like, that is a perfect title. So I know I gave him a you know a shout out you know a shout out yeah. under his pseudonym, yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's it a, and, and so just with that, like believe people too when they tell you the story. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously fact check and and use your own intuition when you're hearing things. But yeah, if someone's coming to you and it's someone you trust and someone you love and they're they're telling you something is happening behind closed doors that that other people don't know about. Yeah. Try to provide a safe space. Try to be open-minded to hear that, even if it really challenges what you think you know or believe about that person. Yeah. Um, so I know that you gave the website for the um, for hotline.org. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, websites that you recommend? I always end the uh, the podcast mentioning 988 yeah. as well as the, the phone number and text line for the National uh, Domestic Violence Hotline. Perfect. Yeah. Those two are perfect. Um, you know, I, I would just encourage your listeners to look around wherever they are located, whatever state and county they're located in. In the state of Maryland, we have something called the Mobile Crisis Unit that operates county by county and almost not every county in Maryland, but almost every county in Maryland has a mobile crisis unit that operates from like 8 a.m. to like 2 a.m. or something. They'll come and meet you at your house um, if you're in a mental health crisis. So that's that's something we have in the state of Maryland, and you can find that very easily online. And other states you know, have statewide programs, but also each county and jurisdictions have their own things. You would be surprised when you start digging around in your local area what is out there. And you don't know it's there because you don't need it until you need it. So um, also your county's health department, your local hospitals will have resources or any of your local mental health outpatient clinics, which most counties will have an outpatient clinic that takes Medicare, Medicaid, um, those sort of clinics have all the resourcing, the brochures, your library, your local library and librarian can help you. So okay. A lot of it is is dependent on where you live, but there are resources in almost everywhere, almost everywhere. Wonderful. And thank you for bringing up the local 
um, aspects. Um, And just finally, um, if you want to share your, you know, how people can find you, social media, uh, website. And I'll, I'll link everything in the show notes, but sure. um, whatever you want to share. Yeah. Sure. I'm I'm most active on Instagram. So it's Maryland Therapy Carrie, or um, my life coaching is Curiosity Life Coaching. Um, and then my website is MarylandTherapyCarrie.com. Um, and so those are all great ways to contact me for for mental health. I'm only licensed in the state of Maryland and okay. South Carolina. Um, for life coaching, it has a totally different um, clientele and different set of rules, but that, that can be done nationwide or really across the world, um, which is pretty cool, but it's different. You know, if, if you're coming to me because you're being emotionally abused and you're having a trauma response, you need mental health, not life coaching. Um, right. so I, that's my job to, to ascertain what, you know, what, what you best fit for. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you again and, uh, yeah. Um, have a lovely summer Thank and you. Uh, thank you again for everything. Okay. Take okay. care. Thank you once again for listening to my conversation with Carrie Mead on Emotional Abuse is Real. And thank you, Carrie, for appearing on the podcast. If you would like to learn more about Carrie's work as a therapist and as a life coach, I've included her websites and social media information in the show notes. And if you would like to share your emotional abuse story here on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out at hello at sereneleads.com or through Instagram at sereneleadswrites. Please note that this podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional mental health services. If you are a victim of emotional abuse and need help, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988 or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 887-88. And I will also include the website for the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the show notes. Once again, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you can, please support us through our Buy Me a Coffee page. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.